Hey everyone, and welcome back to another season of Australian Survivor Talking Tribal, where myself, James Matheson, and our panel of Survivor extraordinaires deep dive, dissect, and pick apart the upcoming season of Australian Survivor Blood versus Water. We've got an amazing team joining us this season, so let's get into it and meet them. Starting off with a woman who knows a fair bit about the game, not only has she played it, but she's won the whole damn thing. Our reigning soul survivor, Queen Haley. Welcome to the show. Congratulations on your win last season. Thanks, James. It's so nice to be here. I'm a huge fan of Survivor, so to be able to talk strategy and sit in the room, pulling apart the next season is going to be a lot of fun. Now, you are a huge fan, but you sort of kept that under wraps while you played. Was that a deliberate choice? Yeah, I think that um, in the game of Survivor, you want to do anything to keep your threat level low. And being a big fan can be quite a threat to people who aren't. So I didn't want to let anyone know. It wasn't actually until everyone had finished riding the boats at the final tribal that they found out that my birthday was Survivor themed when I was 21. So yeah, I kept that well under wraps. (laughs) Fair enough. Now, as you watched your season, did you sort of get a better idea of strategy? And are you looking forward to taking that information into this series? Yeah, I feel like I know a lot more about how the game works having finished playing it. So I think that's going to really help pulling apart the strategy in this game. So yeah, I think that's going to definitely come in handy. It's great to have you along. We're joined by someone you know very well, a man you're no stranger to, and Australia is no stranger to, uh, the Macedonian Jesus himself, King George of Bankstown, mate. Welcome to Talking Tribal. I'm so glad to be here. I feel like one of those retired sports players that's gone from the playing field up into the commentator's booth, and I can't wait to get started. Yeah, it's a quick transition, mate. Normally, they have to wait about 20 years, but you're here a few months after. In many ways, you're kind of iconic in the survival world already because of how you played the game. How does that feel when you get that feedback from people? Look, it feels good. I waited 31 years and through a global pandemic for the chance to play Survivor. And what I'm really excited about with Blood vs. Water is seeing how the next group of players can take the game to the next level even higher. I want the threshold to be as far high as possible and we get the best season we've ever seen this season. Yeah, word is we've got uh, some big twists and turns coming up. And someone who can definitely help us dissect that is perhaps Australia's biggest survivor expert, maybe even the world's. I'm talking about writer and podcaster Shannon Gush. She welcomes us again to Talking Tribal. Shannon, you watched Haley and George last season. What are your thoughts about having them on our panel? Yeah, I mean, I'm so excited, obviously, to have the king and the queen here. I feel like, James, we need our royal royal titles, but maybe not as lofty as king and queen. Like, I'll be the joker. I'll take that one. Uh, I don't know what you... You can be the prince. I don't think that we had a prince. But to be here with Survivor royalty is obviously super exciting, and they are both massive strategists in their own right. So we can get a lot of intel out of Haley and George, so I'm excited about it. Yeah, I mean, we've already seen... a bit of what's to come with Blood versus Water. We've had a look at the sneak peeks and a couple of big surprises and a um, couple of things that I'm sure you're going to be very, very excited about, Shannon, as a super fan. Uh, George, what's your first reaction seeing that teaser trailer? I got really excited when I saw this season trailer. Blood versus Water adds such an interesting dynamic to the game because this is an individual game. You're meant to outwit, outplay and outlast 
23 other people to get that crown that Hayley is wearing right now. But you've got a loved one there. You've got a family member there. How are you going to go and justify the day after when you have to vote off your loved one? I can't wait to see what happens this season. It's going to be fantastic. And to you, Hayley? Blood vs. Water is such an epic idea for a theme. I saw the promo. I started getting goosebumps just hearing that music. Uh, It's going to be an excellent season. And I'm the kind of person who likes to watch a movie that's going to make me cry, and I'm pretty sure Survivor is going to make me cry this season because you've got loved ones. Like if you have to watch your loved one get voted out, if you have to vote them out, it's going to be really hard to see the players go through that emotionally. We're all going to shed a tear, and I think it's going to be excellent. Yeah, I mean, in the US versions of Blood versus Water, those seasons have been pretty epic and we've seen some extraordinary choices have to be made. Shannon, what can you tell us about what you've seen in the US version of this iteration? Yeah, I mean, Blood versus Water is probably the most different concept that Survivor has ever done. It's probably the most different game that Survivor has been more than any other theme. So it's, it's a really interesting, obviously, for us to analyze psychologically as well from a relationship standpoint and from a strategic standpoint to me i do see it as a bit of a team game like the relationships supersede the game for me every time even in in the famous example where a player voted out her mom like her mom was already going home and like i think history looks at that as as obviously a big move and it's a big move to write mom down on, on a piece of parchment but it was better for the team for her to do that so i see it as as a team game kind of like something like the amazing race and obviously there's, there's one winner at the end, but it, it creates so many interesting dynamics across tribes and through relationships outside of yourself and ways you, you can suffer for what your partner in the game is doing. So there'll be really interesting stuff for us to analyze strategically. Yeah, a lot of different relationships within the Blood versus Order season. One of them is um, in-laws, where you've uh, noticed that there's a big star in this, former NRL legend Michael Crocker's there and his sister-in-law, Chrissy is joining him. Have we had in-laws before in the US seasons? Uh, we haven't had in-laws, but I do notice that they refer to each other like as siblings and the sibling relationship is, is an interesting one, whether by blood or, or chosen as well uh, in the show. So we haven't had in-laws before. That's a bit of a first, but I'm interested to see that dynamic play out. Now, Haley, obviously you were very competitive in the physical sense in the latter part of the season. We're going to see an NRL superstar join Survivor. And we've seen sports stars do well previously. Is it a bit of an advantage going in, having an athletic background, or does it put a bit of a target on your back? I think it, it can be a bit of both. So if you are a physical threat out there, that can be really helpful at the start of the game where you want the team to win. But when it comes down to the individual portion, you become a huge threat. So you almost want to be someone who is physical and good at challenges, but they don't seem to be. So people seem to look at the big, strong males and want to vote them out rather than the the smaller females when actually some of those um, challenges at the end are really power to rate, weight ratio based and being a smaller female actually is an advantage. So if he plays it well, I think that, you know, he can get through the start of the game pretty well without being a target, but you're going to want to make sure you've got some shields coming into that second part of the game. I think as well, like beyond physically, the mentality of being a sports person, even beyond the physical, is really interesting. Like we've seen it across the board because there have been so many um, athletes on Survivor to the point where there have been multiple athlete alliances. 
but you've had athletes like Matt Rogers who will rule the game with an iron fist, probably come in with a bit of a leadership mentality that they've had in sports. You've had your classic nice guys like Simon Black who are more there for the physical stuff and can't keep up as much strategically. And then you've had people like Lee Castledine who try to kind of reconcile at points that sport mateship mentality with the game, which can be really, really hard and kind of change the whole structure of the first season. So I'll be really interested to see how inevitably the sports people of Blood versus Water kind of carry on that iteration because it really does depend on the person, but it's very interesting to jump from sports to a mental game like Survivor. I think what gets me fascinated is Croc is a super fan. He's a Survivor super fan. He's not just a footy legend that played for the Roosters. But can you imagine what it would be like for Croc to come home out of the outback and have to explain to his wife that he cost his sister half a million dollars? That will be a very awkward conversation to have. When you're in camp, George, and you see someone come in who you recognise or you know has great physical ability, what's your first reaction? Well, my first reaction is, can I work with this person? I don't really care what somebody looks like. I don't care what their reputation out in the community is. I want to know whether this person is going to be of value to my game. So Hayley mentioned it before that you make a judgment call on that individual basis, that the physical asset is strength at the start of the game, and then they become a liability toward the end. And then you get these fantastic all-rounders like Hayley, get right to the end, and then they win. But Croc will have to work harder than that. He's got to look after his sister-in-law. He might be in that provider role that you were mentioning for his tribe. But he's got a target on his back, but he's got to be able to work numbers on this game. I agree with George on that. When I first saw Gavin Wanganeen on the other side of the tribe, I didn't think let's vote him out. I thought I could work with Gavin Wanganeen, AFL legend, but he's from Adelaide. So you look for commonalities more so than... Um, just because they're a physical threat to vote them out. Yeah, right. Interesting. And often that commonality is the fact that we have so many professional athletes that, again, they have created multiple professional athlete alliances. So I'll be interested to see the rest of the cast because if they fill it out in a, in a similar manner with those kind of champions that have defined a lot of Australian Survivor even beyond the champion season, um, then there'll be a lot of commonality for him and he can probably find another sports star who might want to work with him or go up against him. So it'll be interesting. Shannon, what is it about this particular version of the game that you love and makes it so intriguing when you see the characters emerge? Yeah, it just it creates a lot of layers to the show. So there's obviously the relationships that you form out on the island that aren't blood, that aren't your actual relatives, and those have always been at the core of Survivor. And now you have those relationships that are important. That's mostly what will carry you. But then you have a partner who, again, can be a detriment to your game. Any enemies they make might be your enemies, anyone that they upset, any any negative. We've seen that before. Kelly and Dale is a really iconic example of that. Like, he pissed some people off and she suffered for it. But then anything they gain can be your gain as well. So it's interesting in that. And then, of course, the different relationships that are there, That that's quite important too. Like, in the US, the relationships that have made it quite far, like the end game were parents and children or partners where it might be even more of that collaboration, even more of that kind of shared pathway. But if you are siblings or cousins or creating a bit of distance where you might not necessarily share the money, there might be more of a distance there getting to like the point at the end of the game. George and Haley, as former players, how do you feel like this dynamic changes how you approach the game? Obviously, not only have you got 
instantly someone who's on your side you can work with, but you've also got someone that other competitors can target if they want to get to you. Yeah, I think that both George and I really benefited in our games of Survivor having somebody there to play with. So I had Wei, George had Kara, and those um, partnerships were really important for both of our games. So I could imagine in Blood vs. Water having someone there um, that you can trust, that knows you, that like you can make strategy together would be really important. But unfortunately in this format, if everybody knows about it. So the one thing that makes you an advantage is also the biggest detriment to your game. And people will want to cut you off at the knees by taking either you or your loved one out. See, the interesting thing about Blood versus Water is this. If there's a tribe swap at the middle part of the game there, you immediately have a number on your side. But the longer that the game goes on, your loved one can become a liability. Like Haley said, essentially, both of us played a blood versus water game in the last season. And there was nothing more valuable to me than having Kara there. I saved Kara, Kara saved me, and I'll be fascinated to see how the dynamic plays out this season. But at the end of the day, it's all well and good to splice and dice numbers and you can go down to your combos of two, but eventually you have to vote somebody out. And that tough decision is even tougher when it's somebody that's a member of your family. I think as well, there needs to be a distinction made between like game partnerships, even the closest ones, even George, Kara saving you. I can't imagine a closer game relationship, but you really, you can't compare that to like a sibling, a parent, a spouse. And I think that that is an appropriate, even at its strongest, like that's an appropriate survivor pair where it, that can be the strongest thing in the game and powerful duos have often made it to the end survivor. And it can be the most important thing to your game. But then if you were to add an, an extra layer to that where it is literal family, I think it can become a bit of a weight. And in the extremely small sample size of US Blood versus Water, having a loved one go very, very early has been a very successful pathway in the game um, and can free you up to form those other appropriate relationships like Tyson did with Jervis, like Natalie did with, with Jeremy, and then she went on, on her own. But I think that those partnerships end up being appropriate and, and to be freed up, can, can be a better thing for your game, but then you would never want to lose a loved one, the trust, the information that they can provide, and also just having them in the game and a second shot in many partnerships for the money. So it becomes an interesting dilemma. I, I wouldn't ever want to lose a loved one early, but like if they happen to go, there can definitely be some pros to that. And it's been the result of both winning games in US Blood versus Water. Yeah, it's a good point, Shannon. I was thinking that if you really wanted to win, you'd choose out of you and your loved one who had the best shot and the other person kamikazes early and then then you have the best shot to the end if we're going off American. Yeah, like it makes a lot of sense and historically is true, but like also like you want two shots at the money. But yeah, for sure, like if you're looking at it, you want your loved one to go first or second and then you'll win blood versus water in the extremely small sample size that we have. And like, I don't want a kamikaze and I'm sure my loved one doesn't want to do it either. So who's going to do it? The benefit of having your loved one there and the benefit of me having had someone like Kara play on Brains versus Brawn with me is I had someone I could trust no matter what. And that is more valuable than any kind of survivor advantage or idol that you can find out there hidden in the bush. You're better off keeping your loved one, your number, your ride or die as long as possible and then splicing and dicing the numbers with them. I know it's worked on US uh, blood versus water seasons to sacrifice a loved one or to enable the game to free up and then you can move as a pivot between couples or between alliances. But 
having played through my season quite recently, the thing that worked best for me was having my loved one, my Cara, there right to the very end. I just worry about what that extra layer can do, the emotionality of that when it's someone who is a family member. But I definitely don't endorse sacrificing them early. I don't endorse getting rid of them early. I just think like if they happen to go, it's not like your game is over. Like it actually can be really good. See it as a positive. I guess basically just use whatever's at your disposal. If your loved one's there, use that to bond with other teams who have loved ones. If you're a single and your loved one's been lost, use that to bond in revenge with other people who've lost loved ones. Like either way, use it to your advantage, but there can be some pros to your loved one accidentally leaving early. See, Shannon, I think back to the US blood versus water and when Jervis started antagonising the losing tribe that was going to tribal council, they voted off his niece. That would impact on me as well. If if there's a loved one on the other side that is chauvinistic, if there's a loved one that's rubbing a loss in my face when I'm tired and I'm hungry, I'm going to target them. That's what I'm going to do. That's why you want the loved one sometimes to go home so that they can't be a detriment to your game. I think best case scenario, they're not actively ruining your game. That's always good as well for the players. Hayley, just quickly, can you share that you spoke about a very close relationship you had on your season? We talk about the idea of trust. At what point do you decide, okay, I really can trust this person. They're an ally I'm going to take as far as possible. Oh, it's so hard. You really shouldn't trust anyone fully at any point, but it it comes from actions more than words because you're going to say a lot of things when you're out there. But when someone is consistently showing you that they have your back and they give you information, it turns out to be true, then you start to develop this trust around each other. So there's no magic sweet spot when it happens. But yeah, you go through some turmoil together, especially if you're on the bottom together, that really bonds you. So yeah, I think I think that can create some strong strong alliances in a game like this. We saw in that sneak peek that um, the cousins there they seem to be battling out the, the top spot. Well, Mark mentioned that uh, either if he wins or Sam wins, everyone wins. It seems they've set out to share the spoils. What are your thoughts on playing like that? What does that mean for the gameplay? Yeah, I think this is interesting. If if you go in as um, partners, as married couple, then you don't have a one in 24 chance of taking home the money. You have a one in 12 chance. That's huge. So I think that there is a chance that if you are in a couple, as opposed to a brother and a sister who won't really probably be splitting it halfway or won't be taking it all to the same house, you could be targeted differently. Like you might be more of a threat if you are a married couple. So it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out in the season. This goes to your very point you made with myself and Cara, Shannon. The two cousins, they have a sufficient degree of separation where they can justify that they have their own games. Like you said, Hayley, they don't have a shared bank account. Only one of them can win half a million dollars like you did. So that means they might target each other. But in saying that two cousins, two pair of eyes, two sets of brains, they can work alliances from different angles. And if they work the numbers really well as a combo, they could go really far together. I do think the diversity of relationship status is something that's really interesting to track. And as I said, like in the in the US show, obviously the, the singles are the ones that won, the people that lost loved ones really early. But for the people that did make it really far, it was these like really, really dependent relationships. It was partners who ended up being married. It, it was uh, mother and daughter, like people that you would sacrifice your game for or share the money with. 
and that can bring in its negatives like the emotionality of if that person is taken out you might find it really really hard to work with people who did that um, but then you also have someone you can trust like more than more than anything in the world people you would be sharing money with like you literally are a team versus that separation where you might be a bit more free if it is something like a more separate relationship like cousins obviously extremely close but you you aren't sharing that check so it might free you up but then it is really more of a one in 24 chance so definitely pros and cons i'm interested to kind of track through the season which of those relationships it seems maybe are a better fit to going on the show and then everyone can adjust accordingly when everyone is asked who would you go on the show with maybe it's better to go on with a cousin than a spouse yeah i, I mean i love this concept of blood versus water taking someone who's very close to you that you trust that you love I wonder if, you know, there's not something in doing it with someone you're related to who you really hate, your crazy uncle who has gone down the QAnon rabbit hole, someone who divorced your sister, you know, someone who you just really couldn't stand. That's the meat and potatoes I want to see. So fingers crossed. Yeah. We don't know. We haven't seen exactly all of our contestants yet. We've just got a sneak peek, but... Um, yeah, I can think of a couple of family members. Name names, James. <laughs> Backstab, manipulate, sacrifice, you name it. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. No, I mean, look, look, Tyson and Natalie were the two blood versus water winners. They lost their loved ones second and first respectively. Like, hilarious to take on a loved one that you hate just to, be, to hope to sacrifice them at the very beginning so that you can win based on that precedent. So, yeah, find the loved one that you hate the most and then bring them on the show and then make them the first boot and you will win. That's a good, that's a good way to do it. Speaking of, you know, close relationships and Mark and Sam, obviously they said that they're going to share the spoils, but it's not the first time we've seen them. I met them on Survivor, Australian Survivor season two. Since then they've gotten married and then had a baby, which is amazing. It's such a great Australian Survivor story. Sam, I think, was voted out sixth and Mark seventh in their original season. Knowing how they played and how their relationship has evolved, what do you think the strengths will be in how they play and maybe their weaknesses this second time around? I think last time part of why they got voted out was because they became so close. They kind of were this couple, which they ended up becoming, and everyone saw that as a threat. But this time, everybody's in a couple. So their biggest problem last time is not so much an issue this time. So they're coming in with a lot of knowledge about how the game works. They've got to see how other people perceive them, how they did well, how they didn't. And I'm sure they're going to be learning from that. So I think that they have a lot of advantages coming in to play this game again. See, Sam and Mark, they found love on Survivor last time. But the one thing that they need to find this time is an immunity idol and some numbers to have on their side. But like you said, Haley, nothing beats the experience of playing Survivor. They know what they did wrong last time. They were too focused on each other. And it's great that we're seeing them again as a family unit. But I have no doubt they will not be making that mistake again. Mark and Sam won't be lying down on the beach and tanning. They'll be out there playing the game, working the crowd, working the numbers, I think they'll be finding any advantage and immunity idol that's out there because they know that's what matters on Survivor. Yeah, I mean, obviously the threat of them as a couple is now nullified by the fact that everyone has a parent and that was a big reason that they were targeted, but there were obviously other flaws to be the second and third person out of their tribe, especially for Sam. Like she came out really hot out of the gate, um, was a bit of a leadership 
figure, which which is hard uh, in Survivor anyway, especially for like a female demographic to do that really early on. So she ruffled some feathers and I think had a bit of a poor read on how that was affecting people. She came up against some really, some other strong players in like Henry, for example, who's always going to kind of push back against that other power structure. So I think if she learns from that, but I also think like being returnees who have like, they were just on eco challenge. They have a lot of survival experience. They have experience from the show. Like people might cling to that as well. So that leadership stuff might come across a little better, but I still think like best to tone it down, best to kind of read the room of how everyone feels about the fact that you are coming off that strong and and tone it down a little bit. But I think that this format should suit uh, that style of play better for Sam, especially. When you talk about Shannon coming out hot out of the gate, I'd love to hear your thoughts, George and Haley, on this. In those first few days, how do you balance that? You need to obviously assert yourself, but at the same time, you don't want to rub anyone the wrong way early on because that first tribal happens very, very quickly. There's different ways to skin a cat. So as someone that came out of the gate probably in the biggest fireball in Australian survivor history, you've got to be willing to know which buttons to push. And from my perspective on that original brains tribe, I needed to divide before I could conquer. Will Mark and Sam be doing that? Well, if they've got the experience to know to read the room and to know that it needs to get done, I hope they do it. But as returning players, I'm expecting them to come out guns firing. Neither of them made the jury last time and anyone that plays Survivor wants to make it to that critical halfway point in the game. They're going to come out firing, they're going to come out hot and I hope they do it and I hope they both dominate given that this is the second of a once in a lifetime opportunity chance that they're both getting. Yeah, I think um, when you start the game, the first few days of how you play should really depend on how you're perceived by other people. So my strategy going in was really just to kind of get the social bonds and kind of lay a bit low and just not annoy anyone. I think it depends on who you are is how you should start the game. Like if you are a big, strong physical asset, you probably could just lay low because you're not going to get targeted unless you stand up and say, I'm a leader. Whereas if you're, that's not your strength, you probably need to play quickly because otherwise you might get targeted. So it really depends on who you are about how you should start the game. See, that's why Sam and Mark, I think, can afford to hang back. Like they're both super, super physical. They're both people who have the experience that people will want to cling to. They're both people who were targeted for reasons that show their skills in the game. They were likable. They had connections. They were social. They could rely on those raw skills without it having to be like a more aggressive type game from someone like Sam. So I think because that was such a major factor of her storyline, I'm sure that in the four or five years that it's been, like it's something that she would have learned from because it's been emphasized so strongly. And it's really just like one factor that she needed to pair back on. And obviously the threat that they had as, as a couple that's now gone. So there are a lot of raw skills there where I actually think they could do really, really well and try to get to an individual portion of the game where their physicality should be very helpful. But it's just like that one very overstated flaw, something that's been talked about a lot that I'm sure she would know to be very conscious of in, in a second time playing. And Sam is a self-confessed control freak, so I can't wait to see her confessionals as she tries to bite her tongue and not go off at everybody. Yeah, as a group of control freaks here that Haley and I have spoken about it before, I think we're all very much rooting for the control freak to, like, get it in check and win for control freaks everywhere. <laughs> and as a loose cannon, I hope that Mark and Sam go out all guns blazing. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to watch. I must admit, when I heard that Sam was coming out, I was very excited when I heard she was bringing someone very close to her. Part of me was hoping it was Mark, 
the other part of me was hoping she would bring the baby, but um, <laughs> maybe it's a hidden immunity baby. You never know. Wouldn't eat as much. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Pros and cons, obviously. This is Australian Survivor Talking Tribal and uh, this year we're going to have a new segment basically where we explore the world of Survivor and who better to do it with than our resident expert Shannon Gus. Uh, Shannon, each time on the world of Survivor we're going to sort of dig deep on a character or an event to just share with people who maybe don't have the type of knowledge you do, a bit of background on the show and some of the events that have happened. This week on The World of Survivor with Shannon, we're going to introduce a character. I mean, we mentioned that Hayley was the queen of Australian Survivor, but there is one woman who is the literal queen of Survivor. We're talking about Sandra Diaz-Twine. First off, what was your reaction when you saw her in the sneak peek? Oh, my God. I mean, just chills. She is She's such an iconic Obviously, a play, like iconic player. She won her first two games. She's the first two-time winner of Survivor. But even as a character, like I think sometimes it gets missed because she's the queen. She won twice. Like that is the headline. But also, like she's one of the best characters in global Survivor history. So with the world of Survivor, I'm really excited to dig into the culture of the show. That is, there's so much there through the various franchises of Survivor and through dozens and dozens of seasons. And I think there's no better person to lead that with than the queen. That is. Sandra Diaz Twine because she is just an absolute legend in every sense of the word. What do you feel that it is about Sandra, how she played the game and how she's managed to dominate that makes her such a beloved figure and also feared by her competitors? Is it her swagger, her bravado, her cunning? What what do you think it is about Sandra? Yeah, I think that you can separate those two things into player and character. So as a player, she has some superpowers of the game that are really unique to her. She has like a great awareness of the game, of the jury and of self. And she's really, really adaptive to that. So she'll hop onto short term plans that'll get her as far as the next vote, that'll get her as far as the next next phase, and that'll get into long term success. A really great example of that is how she just, she'll just make up lies if she needs to make up complete stories, but she'll make up a good lie. So an example of that was that she told Russell that coach was coming for him, which was completely fabricated. It got Coach out of the game, which made her and Courtney go through another round, which eventually got her to emerge, which got her to a win. So she'll spy on people, she'll make up stories, she'll sow chaos, she'll eat sugar and blame it on other people. And that's the Sandra way as a character. Um, it's very, very adaptive and very fun to watch. And she'll also adapt through all of her seasons. She's aware of her threat level. And in her later game, she's been more dominant and more out in front in something like Game Changers, knowing that she couldn't hide in the shadows any longer. As a character, she's really, really well known for her iconic one-liners, confessionals for some, also some confrontation. She pretty much has a fight with an alpha male player every season that is well known. Some of the most famous alpha male players of all time, Johnny Fairplay, Russell Hans, Tony Blackos, and Rob Mariano. So I'm interested to see who falls next into her firing line, but both as a character and a player, she is just an absolute joy to watch. And Hayley and George, as competitors yourselves and also massive fans, have you got a favourite Sandra moment? And tell us how you felt when you saw that she was going to be part of Australian Survivor. Yeah, Sandra is the ultimate queen of Survivor. She is an amazing player. I cannot wait to watch her. I'm so relieved I didn't have to play against her. 
but it's going to be such a fun season to watch with her on it. She's so good at being underestimated. No one seems to think she's as big as a threat as she actually is. And the next thing you know, you're sitting next to her at the end and she's beating you. Yeah, my favorite moment of hers is she just has this ability to find a crack and make it bigger. She, uh, this sugar incident that Shannon um, alluded to, she saw that two players were kind of feuding. So she ate all of the sugar and pinned it on this other girl, Michaela. And then JT and Michaela had this massive fight and it ended up sending JT home. So it's so fun to watch. And it's just, she's so sassy. I just can't wait to watch her on our screens. My, my favorite part of that trigger moment as well, obviously the, the memes and the gifts, but you know, she, she tells Michaela about that after when JT goes home and that's fine. Like she can assess that relationship to know what she can get away with and the relationships and the bonds that she has that can kind of bear the weight of some of the chaos that she sows. And I think as well, the chaos is really, really fun to remember. And those, that's a lot of the iconic parts of her game, but it's really a lot of the time founded in extreme bonds and relationships, often with like another younger woman in some sort of iconic duo that she will form as well. So that's really um, the weight of her game. And that is why as well that she can really move far in her seasons and two of the times has won. When I saw Sandra in that promo, her just standing behind that railing, I just started screaming going, oh my God, we've got the best player in the world that's going to be playing Australian Survivor this year. It's as if Lionel Messi just signed for the Western Sydney Wanderers in the A-League January transfer window. We're very lucky as Australians to have the queen of Survivor worldwide to join our ranks. I'm really excited to see how she can adapt her game to tougher Australian conditions, tougher Australian challenges, and a cast that brings a different perspective and skill set to the game. And I wanted to touch on what Haley said about her being underestimated, because I think Sandra's wins aren't without their controversy. And I think that anyone watching this, it's not that we would have like unanimous approval um, to saying that she's the best player of all time. So people might be questioning that, but I think it is about being underestimated. And when you rewatch her seasons, you see that she does exactly what she needs to do. Oftentimes it's less flashy, although I think it could be really cool with some psychological manipulation and like, who doesn't like to see someone just like hiding in a bush as George would know as well. But also it really is that she can, she can make she can make the move she needs to at that moment and adapt to it as well. So if she sees a pathway and she's trying to create something, for example, she tried to get Russell out in Heroes versus Villains, if it doesn't work and she sees another pathway, like Russell wanted to take her to the end and she was aware enough to know she could win, she will jump on that train instead. And I think the way that you see that adaptation in a larger sense through all her seasons playing very different games really shows how intentional that is. It's not by accident. It's not a haphazard game. It's intentionally adaptive and based on extreme awareness of herself and of the game to be able to do that within a season and across seasons as well. See, the one thing that I'm interested to see Sandra adapt to is this Australian sporting culture that we have. As someone that was known for sitting out of challenges myself, how is sit-out bench Sandra going to handle a bunch of sports people like Croc who respect the physical side of the game? And that's not what Sandra was known for. I hope Sandra adapts. I hope Sandra nails it. And I can't wait to see what kind of innovative strategies that she brings to our game. Yeah, I suspect we're going to have to see Sandra playing straight out of the gate because in Australian Survivor, as George said, the challenges can be really physical and then the challenge, the team has to prioritise challenge strength and Sandra is not good at physical challenges. Yeah, so I think that we're going to see her playing hard quickly because she's going to have to. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll be praying for a lot of puzzles because Sandra dominates the puzzles, but I do think that there are two really big concerns for Sandra's game. Obviously, the hyper-physical aspect of Australian Survivor, the most physical franchise, and Sandra, like, proudly has made the sit-up bench into a throne. Uh, she famously left the edge because she knows, again, it's that awareness that physical challenges are not her strong suit, so I'm concerned about that. And then it is the threat level and also being a bit of an outsider, which, which Russell Hans had as well, although some of that maybe by his own making, but she comes in as this outsider. She comes into Australia as an American and her threat level is huge. The last few seasons she played, she was voted out at her first tribal council after the swap. It was another tribe that hadn't really in, in game changes been able to make those bonds with her. They had decided she was a threat and she couldn't get her kind of social hooks in before they took her out. Um, and in the last season of Winners of War, it was just one player also, again, a lot a lot by Sandra's own making, but it was one player with two idols who was like, she's a threat. I'm going to be the queen slayer. I'm going to take her out. So I think advantages against the queen, it just takes one player to be like, no, obviously we don't take the superb player any further. And things like swaps and, and the early game, I think are really concerning points for her because she is such a threat and there'll definitely be at least someone or a few people who are scared of that as, as they probably should be. See, Sandra's biggest strength is she's the best influencer that we have out of all 24 castmates. Sandra knows how to influence where it matters. In the outback, she knows how to outwit. She knows how to outplay. She knows how to outlast. She's done it twice and she's got both crowns to prove it. She might not be the person that gets the most likes of Instagram on her tribe, but I can tell you one thing. If I was there, she'd have the most respect. Unfortunately for some people, for the Australian survivor doesn't seem to reward winners who go back to the game. So in All Stars, we lost Jericho and we lost Shane Gould first up. So I don't know if Australians, I don't know if it's the tall poppy thing, but we don't really want to keep around winners. So I'll be crossing my fingers to keep her on the screen, but I'm not sure how long she'll last. I'm, I'm sending my thoughts and my prayers to Macedonian Jesus that Sandra does really well. Now, uh, Shannon, you mentioned uh, Russell Hands, who was another American player that we saw on Australian Survivor. He was voted out in season three. Where do you think he went wrong? And is there anything that Sandra can probably do differently to avoid what Haley's talking about, this tall poppy syndrome or being a threat from the word go and having a target on her back? Well, I think Sandra and Russell are like such different players and Russell came in and probably proved a lot of the fears that people had about him by like intimidating people with the idol, uh, lying about his personal life and really like creating that social barrier, sowing chaos. Like Sandra will sow chaos, but again, it really is rooted in the relationships and the bonds. And even in the game she's lost, it's not been due to the fact that she couldn't make relationships and alliances. You know, she had strong alliances in both of those games, but it was these other factors that took her out. So I think Russell struggled to make those connections because that's not the game that he wants to play. It's often quite antisocial to bend the dynamics to his will. Whereas Sandra, I think, will go in and be someone that people will gravitate towards. I mean, I know I would gravitate towards her and those connections that she can make and how quickly she can do that will be the only thing that can save her really early on. But I do think that people might cling to that experience, people who might not even know the game as well. She played four times. She's been an advisor for a fifth season. You know, she can offer them some survival experience, some survivor experience as well that they might want to cling to. And there are some interesting stats in the US, which might be interesting for Sam and Mark as well. When there's a limited number of returnees on a newbie season, they have a lot of influence and they do extraordinarily well. And all but the last time this has happened where two to four returnees have been on an all newbie season, at least one of them has made 
the final tribal council. One of them's made the final tribal council. And in hybrid seasons of newbies and returnees, the returnees often do dominate. So I think it can be awe-inspiring. I mean, Russell's an outlier to this, but look at Luke. He comes in as one returnee, comes fourth. These people can do very, very well and get very, very far just by that sheer influence, expertise, and some other things that you want to cling to. And kind of the hero worship that I hope that some people would have for Sandra might keep her around early until she can get her hooks in, hopefully, and absolutely dominate. What about the dynamic of playing with her daughter? How do you think that's going to play out? We haven't seen much of that relationship before. So do you think that's going to be maybe her potential weak point, being someone who's so strong in the game? Finally, she's coming in with a vulnerability. I think Sandra's a bit of a wheeler and a dealer. If she feels that the vibe on the ground means that sacrificing Nina would be better for her game, I think she's got it within her to do it. At the end of the day, Sandra has a reputation, like you said, Shannon, of seeing the options that are before her and taking the best route to the end. If she needs to let Nina go, I reckon she'd do it. I I don't agree. I, I think that, like, Sandra, Sandra's there for Nina for me. Like, Sandra actually technically retired and is now back. And I think a lot of that is to do with Nina. She's here to pass the torch. She's here to create, like, the new dynasty of Survivor. And I think she'd be more focused on Nina even than herself. Like, we know that even with Sandra's extremely strong relationships, like, she is ruthless and she will cut anyone. She she voted out Courtney, for example, who was her ride or die and, and doesn't take away from that relationship. But I do think that's different to her actual daughter. And I, for me, I would assume her priority would be Nina over herself. I think I agree, yeah. I I think that she she's not going to cut her daughter. I don't think um, in a game like this when she wants her to come and kind of have this experience that she's gotten to have, I think it would be pretty ruthless to see her cut <laughs> Nina from the game. I mean, that would be crazy if she did it. Like, that would be an iconic moment for sure. Um, but surely even the queen has her limits and not, like, cutting the, the, the princess. See, the interesting thing here is, does the princess replicate her mentor, her mother? Nina here is the daughter of Sandra Diaz Tyne. I'm expecting Nina to play exactly the same. Someone who's really good with relationships, someone that's really good with strategy and someone that can navigate their way to the end. And the question that might, we might need to be asking is, is Nina willing to sacrifice her mother, Queen Sandra, to be the queen, the second queen of Australian Survivor? That I could see. And I think, I think Sandra would be okay with that because I think Sandra, you know, she knows her own history in the game. She's comfortable with the fact that, like, Queen stays queen and obviously she's won twice and she's gotten as much as she needs to out of Survivor and can rest on her own reputation. I would think, not being a parent myself, but like I would think that she would want that for her daughter and she would want that success for Nina more. So I'm really interested to see Nina because she has some absolutely giant shoes to fill, giant statue to fill of Sandra. It's so much pressure. Uh, she's like already being stand, even though we, we haven't met her, but we know her because she's Sandra's daughter. So I hope it goes really well for Nina. I'm absolutely excited to see where the dynasty goes from here. The question is, how will Sandra react if somebody takes down Nina? Will she go on this rage of fury and take them down? Can't wait to see it. Yeah, lots uh, lots to look forward to. I'm uh, particularly excited about the potential Shakespearean moment of Nina writing down Sandra's name at Tribal Council, staring down the camera. Who's the queen now, bitch? But we'll have to see how that plays out. <laughs> Chatting about Sandra Diaz-Twine, who's the Queen of Survivor, and we're lucky enough to have her on this season of 
Australian survivor. Hayley, obviously you talked a bit about how much she's meant to the game over the years, but if you saw her standing there when you arrived on the beach, what would be your first thoughts? Try and vote her out or you try and learn from the master? Yeah, it's pretty tough. As a fan, I would just want to soak it in and be around her. Um, I actually think strategically, if I had a choice, I might try to vote off Nina instead of Sandra because you want to weaken her somehow. But Sandra's always going to be a threat. It's going to be, you would assume it might be easy to corral people into voting her off. All you have to say is in season 39 in America, there was a giant statue made out of her face. Like she is the queen. So I think that if you took out Sandra first, Nina might weasel her way quite far in the game and she could be the underrated player. Um, So I think I would actually go for Nina first and let Sandra go a bit further before I tried to chop her off at the knees. See, if I'm walking out on day one on the mat and I see Sandra Diaz trying, I would instinctively tell myself that is the first person I need to talk to after we all say hello. You've got someone there that you can strike a deal with. It's basically the same reason that I wanted to work with Haley. I would want to surround myself with players that you can bargain with, that you can negotiate with, and that you can strategize with. And that to a T is Sandra. I'd keep Sandra close, but I'd also monitor her like a hawk. Yeah, I mean, I think that Sandra, there are definite positives to working with her. I'm not just saying that in the hope that people work with her. And anyway, she would also be a good enough player to be able to pitch this to other players and, and again, have that self-awareness. But she is a huge threat and a shield, someone who'd be kind of up for anything, someone who could help you with plans and work with you on certain deals, who also isn't a physical threat. So it's a long game. You could pretty much get rid of her at any point. Um, before the end if you needed to so someone like Luke for example in season four when he came back people worked with him and that was to their benefit that he could come up with a great plan that they could get involved in mischief together that he could shake things up and you could be a part of that then he started winning challenges so it became tough to get rid of him and it actually got really close to the end when he went out in fourth place that he might have won the game Sandra's probably not going to win any challenges so you could have that kind of uh collaborative relationship without fearing that she's going to win out at the end and then actually win the whole thing. So there's definitely some positives to working with her. Hayley, you talked a bit about the idea of eliminating Nina. The risk you run, of course, is if you go for Nina and you miss, you're going to get the wrath of Sandra. Imagine what we've seen of Sandra, Shannon, that when the mama bear is poked, that she can get pretty fierce. Yeah, she can get loud too. I think that you might have a death wish if you go for Nina. Um, You know, we've seen Sandra want revenge. We've seen her in fights with people and we've seen her tell us in confessional how she's going to screw people over and then do it strategically. And if I got rid of Nina, I'd be scared the whole time that she's had that confessional about me and is quietly working on something to take me out. So, yeah, I fear for those people who, who, who come for Nina. I think Sandra, she might cut you. So be careful. Slowly. Yeah, exactly. And she'll she'll do it painfully as well. So you don't want the wrath of the queen. But Haley's brave. Like Haley's willing to go queen to queen. And I respect that. See, for me, I, I would be fearful, but you're brave. You're a brave person. Because if I if I started if we all started on the tribe with Nina and Sandra was on another one and we didn't have access to trying to take her out and she was just going further, what do you do? Leave them both in the game? You don't you need to weaken her somehow? And if Nina's a way to do it, maybe the key is just don't let it get pinned on you. <laughs> Shift the blame of whoever got, got out Nina. Maybe, and then, yeah, maybe then Sandra won't come for you. 
Well, it's ironic you say that because Sandra most recently played in that situation where she played with loved ones, which was Boston Rob and Amber. She was mad at Boston Rob and she didn't have access to Boston Rob, so she voted out Amber and Boston Rob was really mad at it. And I feel like maybe we could see that like mirror image storyline, but with her being the one that is targeted or Nina being the one that is targeted. But I definitely think that if you take out Nina, like Sandra will try to find a way. And I think even even beyond strategy, even beyond the game, like she will find a way to to really hurt you in the game. Um, and I personally would be terrified of that. And then that's when the pragmatic side of me would come out and I would tell myself, if I attack Sandra, there are consequences. If I attack Nina, there'd be even worse consequences. Why not just look them both in the eye and attack somebody else? Haley, we heard at the very start of the show that you weren't very forthcoming about the fact that you were a, a super fan. Do you think having Sandra in the game this time around will sort of reveal very early on who is a huge fan of the game and who is more of a, a casual? I don't think it will actually. Um, I did keep it well under wraps that I was a fan. I tried not to talk about the game very much, but um, Sandra is a big deal. She's played four times. She was a, a con- coach on one of the seasons essentially. So I think that... If someone says, oh, that's Sandra, I kind of casually watched like season 40 and she was in it, then it's not really outing yourself as a super fan, just someone who maybe did a little bit of research before coming on the show, which is kind of expected. You do expect people have watched at least one season, even if they're not a super fan coming in. See, super fans have a mixed reputation on Australian Survivor. I think Hayley and myself are the exception rather than the rule. Uh, we did really well, but we were also great strategists and had other components to the game. But the last super fan that we saw in Andy, he fizzled. He didn't sizzle. So I hope if there's a super fan out there on the cast, they do really, really well. They match the threshold that Haley and I set in terms of game knowledge. But hiding it really well, Haley, the moment I said Pearl Islands, your eyes twinkled. I knew you were a super fan from day one. I want to say that I'm going to be hardcore judging anyone who doesn't know Sandra. She's been playing for 18 years. Um, you are on Survivor. It would take just like the tiniest bit of research to see like the two-time winner who's played four times in five seasons, including being on the two most recent seasons of the show at the time of filming. I, I don't know that everyone on your cast, Haley and George, would have necessarily known who Sandra is. And for that, I would have judged them. You should definitely know the queen if you are on Survivor. But even if they don't, definitely Jonathan will be like, there's a Sandra the Queen, the two-time winner. So, you know, the jig will be up immediately, but like, you should have done that research beforehand. Yeah, it'll be amazing to have her on the show. Everyone is extremely excited to see Sandra arrive in that very first episode. Just before we go, I might get your predictions. George, where do you think she's going to finish? I'm hoping Sandra makes the jury because I want to see her week after week. Mm. Haley. Uh, look, she's played four times. The first two she came, she won, and the second two times she played, she came 16th both times. So I'm going to give her um, a little bit more than that. Let's say she gets to day 18. Yeah, we've never seen her on a jury, so I do think that would be a really fascinating place to see Sandra, and I would absolutely love to love to see her be on the other side of that and tear someone to shreds. Uh, all conventional wisdom is like she should be one of the first boots. It's such a physical franchise. She is one of the physically weakest people on the US franchise. And this is so much more physical with so much more emphasis on the physical with like professional athletes, but like my heart says she'll win, you know, like she can just 
get get to the merge, get to be underestimated again, get to people thinking that they won't award uh, her for the third time, which like I personally would. So head says, you know, third boot, I'll say, because it's important that she's not first or second and my heart says she'll win. So let's go with the heart. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. And uh, there's still plenty more contestants to be announced. So uh, fingers crossed we're going to see a few more surprise packages in the coming weeks as well. Before we go, I might just see from you, Hayley, what are you most looking forward to about this particular season, particularly having been there, particularly having won, and knowing the ins and outs of how the game is played at the highest level? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to some innovative strategy. Um, I loved the strategy we got to play on our season. And so I'm looking for that, yeah, that to really go to the next level. And I think just having loved ones there is going to take it there. So um, I'm, I'm hoping that we see that in this next season. And you, George? Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how this new batch of castaways carries the game to the next level. I think Brains versus Brawn really elevated Australian Survivor to lengths we've never seen. And that's what I want to see from these contestants. You have one chance to play Survivor. For some of these people, it's their second turn. But give it your all. Don't have any regrets. And more often than not, good things will happen. I'm really excited to see, to just have Australian Survivor back, I think is, is a really Im- important thing. Like it's really making waves around the world at this point that it is a really phenomenal franchise that has some top tier seasons, yours included, George and Haley, And that just has the gravitas and the magnitude that I think it is really hard to to come close to. It, it just sells the story in such a big way. And, and to tell that story of loved ones with that really cinematic, major approach to the show I think will be a really really interesting take on it so I'm interested to see how the Aussies do the theme I'm interested to see how they go against Sandra I'm interested to see a mix of returnees and newbies there are a lot of really interesting dynamics at play and I'm sure it will all be told on on a really massive stage so I'm excited yeah it's going to be a phenomenal season and uh, I can't wait for it to start either uh Hayley George Shannon amazing to have you again on Australian Survivor Talking Tribal, we're going to be back every single week as we dissect the moves and strategies of Australian Survivor Blood versus Water, which you can catch Monday, January the 31st at 7.30pm on 10 and 10 Play On Demand. So make sure you tune in. And a new episode of Australian Survivor Talking Tribal is going to drop immediately after episode three. And if you want more, if that's not enough for you, make sure to subscribe to the Australian Survivor Talking Tribal podcast as we get our teeth in even further. Thanks again, guys, and we'll see you next time on Australian Survivor Talking Tribal.